Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. Well, I feel like today's guest needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Dr. Lisa Demore is a psychologist, a New York Times bestselling author, and a podcaster who helps families untangle the inevitable messes of family life. That is a tall but necessary order. Welcome, Lisa. Hello. Hi, Christine. Thank you for having me. I really love getting to think with you. I, I'm so thrilled you're here. Listeners, I was just telling Lisa on the show beforehand that ever since I talked to her for the first time, we met, I'm using air quotes, um, <laughs> in service of a piece I was writing for CNN on tween and teen brain development. And after talking to you, I just... I kind of fell in love with you. I didn't tell you about this, but I was like, I want to hang out with Lisa Demore more. This would be awesome. Well, thank you. Well, I'm here. We are. We get yeah. So out. here I we are. It. So the inspiration for this episode is that I have been thinking a lot about the continued uncertainty we're living around the pandemic. And in July, uh, on July 11th, rather, I saw a Boston Globe article by Kara Miller. And this writer was talking about how the pandemic has been really just filled with uncertainty and unpredictability, especially for families. And Miller writes, even now, after two and a half years, rules around preschool and school feel like a random pastiche that varies wildly from town to town and school to school. Is quarantine required if you're exposed to COVID? Do you need to test? Can extracurriculars proceed normally? I will link this piece in the show notes, but As I've been thinking about this, Lisa, this is one of the many reasons why I wanted to have you on, because I feel like you have the research-backed ability to also provide practical things. (laughs) So I hope you're ready for some questions today. You bet. You bet. I'll try to be helpful. Yes. And actually, before we get going, I should mention you have a wonderful podcast and you're starting, your season is kicking off soon or will already be live by the time this airs. Yes. Yes. So season three of the Ask Lisa podcast, which I do with my fabulous co-host, Rena Ninen, starts on August 30th. And we take questions from parents and we dive in and answer them and um, can't wait to start season three. Oh my gosh. So excited. Can't wait to queue it up. I will link that in the show notes as well. So let's dive in. I know you're busy and it's summer and we both have kids going to college. Oh my goodness gracious. So I wanted to start a little bit zoomed out and Clearly, people are pandemic fatigued, but we are still in it. (laughs) And I have seen some rather grim headlines as we approach the fall winter. So I'm curious if you have any basic 
grounding advice for parents and caregivers. I'm thinking specifically those who may be struggling with feeling like they're the only family that wants to maintain a cautious approach, for example, with masking, who is allowed in their home, et cetera, when a lot of other people are sort of over it. It's hard, right? I mean, this pandemic has been a mess on so many levels, right? Yeah. And, and there's been so much confusion and so much disagreement. And it's hard as a parent to find one's way through it. And especially when there's not agreement within communities, there's often not agreement within families about this. And so there's a couple ways we can come into this that I hope will bring the anxiety, the overall anxiety down. So first of all, I was walking with my younger daughter the other day. I have a daughter who's about to be 12. And we were reminiscing about the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't understand anything about how COVID transmitted. Mm-hmm. And we were reminiscing about how we were wiping down our groceries outdoors. Like we had this whole system when we didn't know how you got COVID, where it spread, you know, how vulnerable you were. And so one thing I want us to just take a moment on for a minute is just that we know so much more now than Mm -hmm. we ever Mm -hmm. did about how this, we're not back where we started, right? We know it comes through the air. We know it makes a big difference if the windows are open. We know that outdoors is fantastic. We know that masking works, you know, two-way masking works, one-way masking also kind of works, right? I mean, that we know things and now we have vaccines. And so we know those work too, and that they really reduce the risk of severe outcomes. So we're not where we were. And I just want to hold on to that for a minute because I don't use the term trauma often and I don't want to overuse it because I think it actually diminishes what real trauma is. But I think there's a way in which when the headlines are like, "Eh, it's going to be a rough fall, it stirs up that initial Mm. uncertainty, that initial sense of like, what is this thing and how do I keep my family safe? And there's a degree of that that is more about a bruise being poked, you know, an old tender place getting, you know, kind of antagonized by new headlines. And it's not as bad as it was. And I don't want us to forget that. I'm so glad you said that because that is exactly what I fell into when I saw the grim headlines. It was just this sort of knee-jerk reaction of, oh my gosh, here we go again. Life is horrible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because we, you know, and so I will use it in finger quotes. I think a lot of people felt sort of traumatized by the initial round of stuff. And it was awful. The reason I'm just so cautious about finger quoting trauma is, you know, there's trauma and there's trauma. There are people who really have lived through, you know, incredibly harrowing, blow you out of the water experiences. And I don't want to diminish that, but all of us have a great deal of soreness and bruising that I think still stays with us around so many aspects of the pandemic. And then when a new yucky headline hits our computer, it's very hard to have any reaction beyond a wince, you know, to seeing that new headline and thinking, okay, here we go again, but it's different than it was. And I, and I think it's important for us to remember that largely because we have kids. And so Mm -hmm. our job as a parent is to moderate our own reaction, right? To not be like, here we go. It's going to be, you know, back to where we were because that's not true. It's also really hard on kids who are counting on us, looking at us to be the reassuring one. And so 
it's okay if that's the initial gut reaction, but my advice would be like, see if you can have that on your own time and then sort of um, manage your face <laughs> when you talk to your kids about it. I think that's so great. And I, I feel like the practice as it plays out will be like, okay, read the headline. I still get the paper newspaper. I love paper. So I get the headline. I read it. I have that initial reaction to myself. I pause, I breathe and remember we're we're in a different place now and then I move on with life. So Exactly. Okay. So then that gets us to the second pass we can take at this, which is focusing on what we can control. And there's a lot that remains in our control. So it may be very frustrating that a school's policies may not either be clear or seem to make sense. It may be very frustrating that other people don't want to adopt the same safety measures that a particular individual or family may want to adopt. And I get that. But I will tell you something that happened this summer that was really useful to me, which is I reconnected with my college roommate. We we see each other all the time. Actually, we usually see each other every five years at reunions. And this year, neither one of us could make it to college reunion, but we wanted to see each other. So we had it like a girl's, it wasn't a weekend, but it was like a girl's weekend together. And my roommate is a pulmonologist. She's a lung specialist who works in ERs. She actually runs, no, not ERs, ICUs. She runs ICUs. And she does it for a major hospital system. So my roommate is like, she's in it. She's totally in it. I mean, she has been doing ICU level COVID for two and a half years. And she's brilliant and wonderful. And she's also common sensibly, like, you know, grounded and useful. So we, um, we were popping around. We were in Boulder, Colorado together. We decided that's where we would meet up. And every time we went into a store, she put on a mask and she said, I can control this. And since it's easy, why not? And then when we were outside, she took it off. We were very careful about where we decided to eat meals, always eating outside if we could. And it was just wonderful to be with her and to watch her sort of matter of fact management based on this incredible knowledge base Mm -hmm. and her ease with controlling what she could and making decisions, feeling comfortable with those decisions. And that really, I think, is where we need to be. Control what you can. And I will tell you, for what it's worth, my brilliant college roommate who lives in this, knows this really well, moves seamlessly through the world, taking her mask off and on in spaces where she felt it was necessary. And that was her solution. And I feel like, well, if it's good enough for her, yeah, <laughs> seriously, good enough for me too. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, that's pretty much how I've operated too. I mean, you know, some things are definitely a little looser, but I just always have one with me and it's, it's not a huge deal. So I think that's a really great thing to remember. And also, please, all the cookies for your friend. What an amazing. I know. <laughs> what a great gift to have of a college roommate. I mean, she's always been fabulous, but now she's like the right person to hang out with. Seriously. About COVID. Just incredible. Just incredible. Well, you know, one thing I want to talk to you about, which is, I just think is such a interesting and it's like a nuanced thing about your work, but you share about often how warmth and structure are crucial for kids and teens. And I, why don't you just, I was hoping you could say a little bit more about that because I think all parents have heard, okay, it's really important to provide structure and people really latch onto that in terms of like, I'm thinking like it starts with babyhood and a feeding schedule and a nap schedule, but I don't hear so much that framing around warmth and I just love it. So I would love for you to just speak a little bit 
to why that word is important to you. And then perhaps also given the timing of when this episode airs, I would love for you to share a simple recommendation for how to build in touch points with warmth and structure, especially amidst back to school chaos. Back to school chaos. Right? That is so true. I, I think feel I'm it coming. Girding. I'm girding for back to school chaos. <laughs> so the insight about warmth and structure is not mine. It really comes to us from the research literature. And what I will tell you is as soon as we started studying families and started studying them in an empirical way, collecting data, of course, somebody was like, well, what's the best kind of family to have for the outcomes that we're looking for down the line? And so hundreds of research studies ask that same question in you know, any variety of ways. And if you take those hundreds, probably thousands of research studies, and you threw them all in a giant machine that could drop out you know, the major findings, that's the major finding. That when we see kids who go on to be self-sufficient, you know, adults with a high level of well-being, if you backwards engineer that, what we see in their home life is that there was a balance of warmth and structure. And so that's what we're going for, you know, based on the data, based on what we know. And I think it's so helpful to appreciate that those can coexist, right? You can have, um, you know, Bedtime happens at every time this night, but we have a really lovely routine around it. So there's the structure and then there's the warmth. You know, it's not just go to bed, right? That would just be the structure. Right. And there's also ways sometimes they play off against each other where you decide to be a little less rigid about something because you want to have some fun with your kid or you decide actually um, things are feeling too loosey-goosey and, you know, you may be having a ton of fun, but nothing's getting done. So you bump up the structure. So I think The goal is not that you're getting an A plus on both warmth and structure every day. And I Mm -hmm. think for me, structure seems very intuitive. It's exactly what you described, you know, that kind of routines of family life, predictability of family life, kind of knowing what's going to happen, knowing what to expect. Warmth for me, to put it on the ground, it's like your kid knows you like them and you're having an enjoyable time with your kid. I think that's really what we're aiming for. and so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it almost, you know, lest I sound a little woo woo, I think it also ties into a little bit of mindfulness and just being present in the moment. You know, we're, I think for me, that is part of what warmth boils down to is, it's just really just being there and, and enjoying and being present, which I know is challenging, but I, I love that you point out that these two things, they're working in tandem. You know, it's not like just get an A plus on one thing and an A plus on the second thing that they're really, they work together in partnership, which I think is great. They do. And, and what you said about just enjoying the moment yesterday, I um, took my younger daughter. She'll be 12 soon down to Cleveland's West side market. We live in the suburbs of Cleveland and it's this wonderful indoor market with all these different stands. And we weren't in a rush and we had lots of time and we got the things we came for. And then I said, what do you want to do? You want to wander? You want to go home? She's like, let's just wander. And we just wandered together through this market, looking at things and ended up buying a cake pop that looked like a minion, (laughs) which was really (laughs) adorable with all the other cake pops that looked like minions. But I think it's that sense of just enjoying the time together, right? There's not a big agenda. The kid actually may be leading the agenda. That when we can do that, it's wonderful. But I don't want any parent to hear that and think that's got to be the bulk of family life. You actually can't make that the bulk of family yeah. life. 
But when you do have those moments, I would say, enjoy them. Enjoy them for yourself. Enjoy them for your kid. That is so wonderful, Lisa. And now also related, I want a minion cake pop. But anyway. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, the other part of my question I just wanted to return to quickly, simple recommendation for building in touch points with warmth and structure amidst back to school chaos. What do you think? Well, I think this brings us to the research on family dinner and the value of having dinner time or at least some meal together as a family. And when we look at the research, again, it does not have to be every night. It does not have to be a command performance, more nights a week than not. But if, as we start to build these new routines, we do try to protect times in the week when we're going to sit down together as a family, even if it's a quick meal, that to me codifies warmth and structure. It's structure Mm. in that it's, Mm -hmm. you know, here we are, we're going to eat at this meal and we're going to sit at the table. We're not going to be, you know, walking around (laughs) the kitchen eating. And I'm asking for this because I just want to see you. I want to sit with you. Even if you don't talk to me that much, I just, I want your company for, you know, the time that it takes for us to eat this meal together. You're making it a value to just be together. And so that's what I think when we look at the research on family dinner and we see these good outcomes, I've always suspected, oh, it's because it distills warmth and structure into an event in family life. It's not like we're all having scintillating dinner conversations Mm -hmm. that are helping our children grow. It's the act that has warmth and structure built into it. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And I, you know, I recently was working on a project about family dinner and the importance of it. And one thing I was talking about in these interviews was how I think it's really important, especially as your kids grow. I mean, what family dinner looks like changes a lot over over a kid's lifespan, right? You know, when they're little, it's highly chaotic and then it kind of seems to level out. And then, you know, if you when once you have teens, they're out a lot more, they have a lot more things going on. So I really like to think about it in a way where whatever you can do is great. You know, if yep. you only can sit down once a week, great. But yep. Whatever those t- touch points are, they matter tremendously. And so I'm, I'm so thrilled that you brought that up as a practical and necessary recommendation. Everybody has to eat, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so wonderful. Okay, we have a lot more to chat about. We will continue this conversation with the wonderful Dr. Lisa Demore after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oftentimes, when asked to think about what one would do with a bonus hour, people reference things like exercise, play, and rest. These are all super important things, and I would recommend adding getting the support you need and deserve to your list. As a mom, independent business owner, and human blessed with many relationships, I spend a lot of time giving. So one of the greatest gifts of therapy for me has been the ability to know that someone is holding space for and listening to me no filter required. I adjust my session frequency as needed, and it is a huge comfort knowing support is there for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. This online therapy platform was designed to remove the traditional barriers to therapy and make mental health care more accessible to everyone. Simply fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. 
Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days, I take Hyacera every morning with my first glass of water, and like all of the Ritual products I have tried, the capsule actually smells good. Ritual's products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Okay, friends, we are back with the wonderful Dr. Lisa Demore. Lisa, my next question. I am, as listeners know, I'm a recovering emotional robot. (laughs) (laughs) I've only developed any degree of emotional fluency later in life and probably probably because I am married to a therapist, but as a recovering emotional robot, one of my very favorite things to work on both personally and with my kids is emotional regulation. It's not always easy. So I was curious if you have a tactic or two to help kids with big feelings of which they may have many (laughs) as we re-enter the school year. And I'm thinking actually, especially if a parent or caregiver gets an eye roll when recommending sort of traditional, super useful things like deep breathing exercises. <laughs> yeah, which do work, but kids do eye They do work. They, we I it. rely on breathing yes. tremendously, but yes, the eye roll can be real. So my tactic actually, Christine, on my website, which is drlisademore.com, I have a series of downloadable bookmarks, and one of them is called How to Manage a Meltdown. And it has nine steps <laughs> that you can follow in order and you almost never have to do all nine to get at exactly this question, which is your kid is having a meltdown, so they need help with emotion regulation. And you're the adult trying to help the child regulate their emotions. And what I have found is if you do the first one, which is listen without interrupting, just let the kid vent. If you listen, listen, listen really carefully, a lot of times once a kid has said everything they need to say, they're good to go. They just needed to get it out. Mm-hmm. So that's step number one. If that doesn't work, you can go to step number two, which is to empathize, to say, oh man, that stinks. Oh yes, what you're describing, like anyone in your shoes would be upset. Absolutely. I'm so sorry that happened. And then let that land. And often then you're done. <laughs> if you're still not done, Step number three is to validate their experience, to validate their emotions. Say, you know, these feelings make sense. You know, Mm -hmm. given what happened, I get why you would be so mad or angry or sad or hurt. So it goes on like that. And then step number four is about coping. And then step number five is about confidence. You know, like, I think you can do this. And only late in the game, actually only at step six, do I suggest that parents offer to help solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And then there's three more steps after that about how to help kids work through a problem. 
But I think so often when kids are having a big feeling, it's uneasy for the adult, right? It's not fun to have your kid be very, very upset. And we jump to trying to help the feeling go away or solve the problem that caused it. And that often does antagonize kids. They Mm -hmm. often do feel frustrated. And so um, I'll I'll make sure you have the URL so you can put this in the show notes because it's downloadable. Oh, yes. I'm going to. Well, I have a big smile on my face because I was like, (laughs) "Okay, listeners, I'm going to include the link in the show notes after I download my copy of the bookmark. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say like that's the strategy and it's it's an emotion regulation strategy. But we forget that expressing emotions, putting feelings into words is in and of itself useful and usually helps the feelings come down to size. And so that's why step number one is just listen without interrupting. I also, I think it's wonderful. And I also think it's worth noting that these preliminary steps actually make a parent's or caregiver's job easier. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to solve the thing. You, all you have to do is be there. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And the funniest thing, Christina, I've heard from corporate groups that people give them to managers to use with their employees. Oh, yes. And of course, also with our life partners, sometimes they don't want solutions. They just want to let you know, get to say what they want to say. And so I tried to just write it down in a simple stepwise fashion, which I think we all know intuitively, but in the moment when the person you care about is upset in front of you, it's hard not to just jump in with trying to solve things. Of course, of course. Oh, that's so genius. I can't wait to get my bookmarks. Okay. My next question is, okay, you know, back to school, it's coming up. Some people are already there, which is just wild in my mind, but it's a time when friend issues may crop up. And I just think it's so interesting because for so long, my party line with my kids has been, you know, be a good friend, just sort of in a broad sense, mostly because I have seen what it looks like when a good friend turns on somebody. Mm -hmm. In contrast, you share about how being part of a large social group actually can be stressful, you know, both from a relationships management perspective and when there's drama, if somebody's not getting along. And that completely makes sense. And research backs up that the happiest kids have one to two friends. So all of this totally makes sense to me. And I still worry about if you only have one or two close friends, what happens if somebody turns on somebody else? So tell me your thoughts about this. I'm so confused. (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay, so there's no good solution. (laughs) Let's just start there. Great. Okay, clear. Let's unpack the various bad solutions available to our children. And that's not really true. Lots of kids have wonderful bump along easily friendships, you know, no problems at all. But we do see in the research that having one or two good friends usually is associated with the lowest levels of stress for kids because they know who they're hanging out with. They're not dealing with the inevitable drama that comes Mm -hmm. with larger groups. They're not having to decide if I spend time with this person, how's that person going to feel, you know, that they really just have their pals. The downside, as you mentioned, is it can feel a little um, dicey in terms of having a backup or another, you know, another system that you can fall back on if that, you know, if that friendship isn't going well, if those one or two aren't working well for you. And that is real. The solution to that, I think, is to help make sure that kids have backup social groups. And an example of this, my older daughter, when she was younger, went to summer camp out in Colorado, where I'm from, though we live in Ohio. And she started to maintain a year round, I think she still has it, text chain with the other kids in her cabin, the other girls in her cabin. Oh my gosh, I love that. 
I love it. And, and it was her crew. I mean, they had a really deep friendship that they maintained all year. And so it can really help to put in, you know, kind of second string, third string options for kids or help them develop it. So that happens spontaneously. Some people will do this in terms of um, through their place of worship, there may be a mm. social network that kids mm-hmm. can connect to, or sometimes on their block, you know, there's a backup bunch of kids. And so if a parent is concerned that the one or two friends their child has could be a fragile situation, then maybe it's worth opening up possibilities not to try to expand that group, but to put a few other options in should they ever be needed. So there's that. Okay. The flip of it is if your kid has tons and tons of friends, it can feel great because you're like, my kid has tons and tons of friends. Like they have boundless numbers of people they can hang out with. And that is true. The flip though being it's stressful. They're deciding who to spend time with when they're often, you know, worried they're going to hurt feelings. And then as soon as you have a larger group, there's no way everyone in that group gets along. And so then there's discord within the group. And sometimes the kids who are not part of the discord get pulled in and asked to take sides. So there's no version of any child's social life from kindergarten through 12th grade that is smooth and easy, right? There's invariably going to be stress and conflict and disruption and hurt feelings. That comes with being human. That comes with figuring out friendships. Our job as parents is to help kids keep it in perspective, to not react in the same proportion they do, to reassure them that they can sort things out, to help them have healthy conflicts when they need to. But hoping, hoping, hoping that our kid like finds a wonderful friendship group and then they sail along gloriously together forever is not a great use of our time or energy. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's unpredictable. And I think, um, I don't know if you know Phil Spagel, but um, yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. And I remember interviewing her for something and she was telling me about how low the percentage rate is for kids to, you know, be friends all the way through middle school or wh- whatever it was. And so that was pretty shocking to me because my older daughter, who's going off to college soon, the friends that she made in kindergarten are still some of her closest friends now. And I think that's very, very unusual. But I think um, it is. I mean, yeah. lovely, but yeah. not that common. Um, Yeah. But I will say from a parent perspective, also another side benefit of having a smaller friend group is that birthday parties are a lot less complicated. Oh man. I was so (laughs) happy to get out of the invite the whole class to the birthday party phase of parenting. Oh Oh my gosh. You know, one thing just as we, as we just, before we leave the question of friendships, one thing that I've found helps kids a lot and if it helps kids, it sometimes helps parents too, is to remember, like, we all have sort of friendships that have occurred in chapters of our lives, Mm. right? The people we were really close with at a certain point. And we may not still be close with them because our lives change. We move on, we move, you know, our interests change. And when kids are moving on from friendships for any reason, it can be very helpful to say to them, you know, just because it wasn't good forever doesn't mean it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And and that can help them come to some resolution about the end of a relationship or the end of the intensity of a relationship that had been very important at a particular point in their lives. That's beautiful. I love that. I think that's a good lesson 
for adults to hold on to as well, because I think it can be very difficult when friendships change and evolve. And certainly um, I've had talked to people who referred to the pandemic as kind of a friendship stress test. And so I think the same goes, you know, we all have different chapters in our lives that we're, that we're living in. The relationships are supposed to change. Things don't say stay the same forever. So I love that point. Yeah, absolutely. And kids are growing and changing so much that of course this is going to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So much. You've given me so much to think about. I love it. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, another question I have for you, Lisa, is you are the author of a couple of New York Times bestselling books, and you have this deep lane of expertise around girls in particular. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, especially at a time when women's rights are under siege and everything seems like it's in a trash can. (laughs) What are your thoughts on how to best support girls? And obviously this is going to look very different depending on age, but I would love your thoughts here. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about the shifting laws around women's rights, wherever you land politically, what we have to grapple with is that this does not affect everyone equally that this will disproportionately Mm -hmm. impact people who are already the most stressed, the least cared for by our society. And so as families sort out where they are with this, I will tell you, I think a lot of people who have the luxury of listening to podcasts can also trust that they will have the luxury if their daughter ever needs an abortion of doing it in a way that is safe and legal. Um, and, you know, that's, that is what it is, but we have to think about what it means for girls and women who will not have that luxury anymore. And it'll be very interesting to see this play out over time. 
you know, we're recording this right after the Kansas vote that I think um, everybody's still metabolizing what that means. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I would say as a mom and what I would say as an advocate for girls and women is that those of us who have the time to be doing advocacy for girls and women are usually talking to girls and women who enjoy a fair bit of privilege. And so our job now more than ever is to get those girls and women thinking about what this means for those who do not enjoy the level of privilege that we have. A hundred percent. Yeah. And those, you know, those conversations can happen really a lot earlier than people think. (laughs) And so I would encourage people to really, it's, it's a great opportunity to help kids tap into empathy. I just think there's, there's so many things that could be happening there. Absolutely. And it's an extraordinary time, you know, to be working through political questions that I think everybody felt were long resolved. Mm. And, you know, I think one of the things that's really hard, and, and I see this with my own adolescent daughter, is I'm watching a lot of adults say to teenagers, well, you guys are going to have to fix this. And I think a lot of the teenagers are like, screw you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why are you leaving us with this mess? And, and you know, they may, well, I don't say those words out loud to adults, but some probably do. But I think what we need to really adopt instead as a position is, you know, pendulums are swinging mm-hmm. all over the place. And we all are responsible for one another. And we're all responsible for trying to think through how do we care for each other and how do we care for the people in our society who are the most forgotten, the most marginalized, the most neglected. Yeah, absolutely. That is just spot on. And I'm I'm so glad that we were able to get on that note because it, it's just crucial. It's crucial. And I, I agree with you that I, I don't want to put everything on the weight of um, the shoulders of teens. And I love that teens are really listening right now. My daughter's 17. And one of the highlights of my spring slash summer was when she texted me in an excited frenzy because she saw Senator Ed Markey in the grocery uh-huh. store <laughs> and talked to him about how excited she is that she's going to turn 18 in time to vote in the midterms. And I was like, what is this life? It is beautiful. I'll tell you, my daughter loves voting. She turned 18 and she voted and she's voted in every election she can vote in. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. And I'm so proud to just watch her exercise that right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Lisa. Well, one last ask of you. At the end of each show, I ask my guest to share what I call your next edit. It's a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening. So in the context of our conversation today, I would love for you to share your next edit recommendation for our listeners. This is very personal. This is sort of like how I'm trying to run my own life a little better and differently. And so I don't know how much it will resonate, but I hope it's useful to people. So I'm someone who loves getting things done. I am someone who has long fantasized that there is an end to the to-do list (laughs) that I can somehow get to the bottom of it. Something shifted, and I hope I can maintain this, where I've started to see my to-do list and a lot of it also taking the form of like what's in my email box, (laughs) Um, not as 
a limited number of items that I could eventually get through, but as a flowing river that will always be running. And that my job is to keep the water flowing is how I started to think about it. So now I look at my inbox and I don't think, how will I get to the bottom of this and then have zero emails? I'm now thinking, am I keeping this water flowing? Are they coming in and also going out? But there's always going to be something in my inbox and there's mm-hmm. always going to be something on my to-do list. As long as it's just moving along, I, I can be content. And somehow I'm hoping that will help me feel just more at peace as we enter into the chaos of the fall. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know. What do you think, Christine? Is that useful? I think it is super useful. Well, one, and I bet there are like longtime listeners who are chuckling along here. One, I feel like you and I are so simpatico. It's ridiculous because (laughs) I am also very driven by my to-do list. And I love always thinking about how to reframe things, especially things that are stressing us out. So this idea of reframing the to-do list as this kind of albatross to this flowing process, I love it. Okay, (laughs) good. So let's try it. Let's see if we can hold on. Let's try it. Let's continue to text about it and we'll (laughs) we'll report back. I love it. It's never going away. This river never stops flowing. It clearly is not. And uh, then I think, why did I think it did? I mean, of course it doesn't, but Let's see if we can feel better if we're like, oh, what's flowing through today and what is moving along and what is still there? I think it's beautiful. Lisa, thank you so much for giving me this window of time. I had joked to you before we got on that it was going to feel like self-care for me, and it truly did. So I'm extremely grateful for you, for your time, for your expertise and your compassion for human beings. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you for having me. I love your work and it was a total pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life or a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.
If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.